The following sermon was delivered on Sunday, December 5, 2021, at the Unitarian Universalist Congregation in Andover by the Reverend Callie Fire. The title of the sermon is, When Joy is Hard. Here begins the sermon. Our reading this morning is from the words of Kay Sylvester. It would be great in these uncertain days to be able to go to a department store to buy some hope. In bulk, I could keep a lot of extra in the garage between the toilet paper and the paper towels. There'd be a box of it under the sink. I'd be happy even with going to the neighbors, a cup measure in hand to borrow some hope until payday. A cup full of hope would probably be iridescent, sparkly blue and like the sea on a sunny day. But hope is apparently something that you can't get quite that way, though chocolate can sometimes take its place in a recipe. <laughs> Buying chocolate in bulk can feel hopeful to be sure, but when we talk about hope, what we need is something more muscly and dependable, something that will stand us up and move us forward, <sighs> even if our knees are shaking in fear. Hope is rooted in our knowledge of the past and those who survived hard times. Hope is fed by our memories of those who brought light to dark times through art and through music, who made scientific discoveries that bettered human health, who stood up to despots and made heroic efforts on behalf of others. Hope is a natural byproduct of being loved selflessly and equal and an equal byproduct of loving others. The past helps us to see that we can be agents of love, salt of the earth and light for the world. But hope's true orientation is the future. When we live in hope, we keep our feet in today and our hearts in tomorrow. Hope ultimately is a decision, a decision to yield, to not yield to despair, a decision to do something to move our bodies a step down the road, to breathe the rich oxygen of stories and relationships and beauty to remind us of what hope is for. Hope is the decision to sing in the dark, whether your voice is shaking or not. Hope is the decision to imagine a better time, God's grace to empower us to make it real. You can prepare, but still it will come to you by surprise. Crossing through your doorway, calling your name in greeting, it will astonish you how wide your heart will open in welcome for the joy that finds you so ready, yet still so unprepared. The words of Jan Richardson. Joy is one of those words that's not really so easy to define. I mean, the dictionaries all have a definition. It's either a feeling of great pleasure, something that brings happiness or great delight. So joy can either be the emotion of how we feel in a state of happiness, or it could be the thing that makes us feel the way we feel. We look to Hebrew for the root. The root of joy, Renan, means to shout or cry out or to overcome. So that is our reaction to how we feel as a definition, which is 
still not helpful. Um, somehow though, we know it is connected to happiness, but it's just different, right? And I think this is where we sometimes get tripped up. Mostly we start to get tangled up during times when life is hard, especially when it's hard for others, for people who we care deeply about. Um, I think that we get a little stuck on the idea of joy being more um, different than, than happiness, being more or bigger or magical in some way. Think about how we use joy. We use it during the holidays like Easter or Christmas or sometimes Mother's Day. We use it at weddings when babies are born. It shows up in show-stopping ways like joy to the world, joyful, joyful, we adore thee, ode to or hymn to, of joy. We jump for joy. We are overjoyed. Someone might be our pride and joy. We burst with joy. An expected child is a bundle of joy. Joy is even a hardworking dishwashing detergent that's sure to make us happy with clean dishes. There's a lot of joyness going on in those statements. My colleague, Alea Kemmler, talks about how we experience this distortion. She says, I'm not sure why there is such pressure at this time of year, especially for everything to be uniformly lovely and happy in somewhat sharp contrast to the way most of us actually live our lives. But this push for unmitigated loveliness and light seems to be pervasive. The joy, however, is often accidental or at least unpredictable. I believe we miss a lot of joy because it does not look or feel or sound the way that we expect it should. We're waiting for something big and loud, happiness gone wild, the intense experience of gladness. If we're really lucky, we might get that joy a few times in our lives. Joy is quieter for most of us than we think it will be, often smaller and quicker. So often joy comes in moments, the moment when beautiful music fills your ears or with the sound of a baby laughing. So with the nature of joy as small, unpredictable and accidental, it makes it a bit elusive. I think it's fair to say that we have all probably experienced some quality of joy in our lives a few times or it wouldn't hold such ethereal mystery in our vocabulary. We know it's related to happiness, but I think it also has a connection to hope, to how it fuels our hope. Think about Reverend Kelmer's description. We're waiting for happiness gone wild, but we get quiet, small moments, fleeting moments. So we might expect some sense of disappointment at that discrepancy, but no, these are the moments that source our memories. Joy is in my memory, for example, of watching my son as a toddler open the cold oven door and slide on under his back, on, uh, slide on his back under it, and he would use his Fisher Price toys to fix the stove for me, like the undercarriage of a car on a mechanic's lift. That memory is as vivid today as it was some 22 years ago, as small and as ordinary and as fleeting as it was. 
Czech playwright, dissident, and eventual president Václav Havel spoke of hope as being different from the conviction that something will turn out well, but certain the certainty that something makes sense, that something that regardless of how it turns out, it makes sense. He says, in short, the deepest and most important form of hope is something we get as it were from elsewhere. I think this is the hope that those small moments of joy give us. We get a hint of a moment that is good for its own sake, a glimpse of meaning that we can use as a heading to guide us forward through life. It makes, that makes it sound easy, right? But we know it's not. Joy is just hard to find and hard to hold on to a good bit of the time. If we were blessed to have not known that before, we definitely learned that, at least in some part of the last 22 months. We suddenly became immersed in this shared experiment, experience of disappointment, sorrow, anger, even despair for some of us. In a culture of diversity of economics, employment, housing, and other experiences, challenges can be harder for some than others. In Daring Greatly, Brené Brown writes about the way our culture challenges how we experience the emotion of joy. I'd argue that joy is probably the most difficult emotion to really feel in a culture of deep scarcity, of never feeling safe, certain, and sure enough. Joy can feel like a setup. We are always waiting for the other shoe to drop. Scarcity and fear drive foreboding joy. We're afraid that the feeling of joy won't last or that we won't be enough or that the transition to disappointment or whatever is in store for us next will be too difficult. We've learned that giving in to joy is at best setting ourselves up for disappointment and at worst inviting disaster. And we struggle with the worthiness issue. Do we deserve our joy given our inadequacies and our imperfections? And what about the starving children and the war ravaged world? Who are we then to be joyful? Especially this year, I think it's important to try to manage that pressure for everything to be uniformly lovely and happy as Reverend Kemmler talked about. Especially because that pressure is ever more urgent in our deep, deep desire to get back to normal. I recognize this in the speed with which so many have abandoned masks and other safety protocols since vaccinations, despite there clearly being no promise of protection or immunity. This is so much the impulse of our culture, isn't it? To cover up the ugly pain of what we, of our experiences as if by erasing them, they never happened or that we can deny what we don't want to remember. Some may question what's wrong with that. Why, why do we wanna dwell on ex the experience of painful memories? Accept then that we inadvertently erase the people who are still living in those experiences, whether those are pandemic related experiences or not. This is a reality of happiness culture. Author and grief coach Sarah Nanan recently posted an article on Facebook reminding us about allowing space for grief 
when we invite grieving friends to join us for holiday celebrations. Be sure you are inviting their grief, she writes. It will be there anyway. Don't invite someone with the goal of cheering them up for the holidays. Don't expect them to put on a happy face in your home. Don't demand that they fake it till they make it or do something that they don't wanna do either. Giving them an invite without the need for commitment and permission to change their mind is extra loving. Your grieving friends and family need attentive care and responsiveness at the holidays, not plans to keep them busy or distract them or keep them happy. If they're laughing, laugh with them. If they're weeping, ask if they like your company or if they'd like your help to find a quiet place to snuggle up alone for a while. If they're laughing while they're weeping, and this is more common than you'd think, stay with them. This is a precious moment for the human experience that is truly sacred. We don't need to protect ourselves or each other from grief at the holidays. In fact, the more we embrace grief as an honored holiday guest, the more healthy, happy, and whole our holidays will be. It will be helpful to remember this also when we are out and about this holiday season. By now, most of us have heard of the term, the great resignation, where people are leaving unfulfilling, unsustainable employment after spending an intense year-ish discovering what is really essential in life. This, however, is leaving employers across industries short-staffed, adding more than the typical holiday strain on our supply chains, on delivery services, on retail service, restaurants, just about anything that you can think of. Remember to pack your patience for your holiday shopping trips. And the effects of this are true for the health and helping professions as well. Doctors and nursing staff, lab and med techs, counselors, therapists, and even religious professionals are experiencing more and deeper vicarious trauma, moral injury, and compassion fatigue than ever. And as a part of this great global crisis that's doubled because they are carrying their own challenges mingled with the hearts of those that they care for. Relating to sorrow, despair, deep challenges, I have held close a particular phrase, something that I heard once or several times over the years. It is not unfamiliar probably to many of you. The only way out is through. For me, this is part of what Sarah Nannan meant by making room for grief, and also why it's not helpful to hide or bury the bad stuff. We process challenges better and thrive stronger by feeling all of our feelings. Rebecca Parker writes of this experience after her going through her own period of despair. It would be wrong to think of this moment as one in which joy triumphed over despair. Such a view assumes that bad feelings need to be excised or suppressed by stronger, better feelings. Peace or happiness or even survival are imagined to be accomplished by cutting something out or dominating some aspect of ourself. Viewing the soul this way internalizes Sorry, viewing the soul this way internalizes violence. I did not defeat negative feelings of anguish and despair because I saw something more lovely and good. 
Rather, I became able to feel more. My feelings broadened. Pain, sadness, and despair were not eliminated and overcome. I embraced them with a larger heart. My consciousness had been broadened to embrace memories, immediate experiences of the world's beauty, and the kindness of human beings, and a vivid sense of future possibility. Experiencing our emotions honestly and without shame or judgment is one of the ways that we can find joy again as can allowing ourselves the full complexity of our entangled emotions. Just as when we may be weeping in grief and smiling over beloved memories at the same time, so often our emotions arrive in packs, in clusters. It is healthy and vital to allow for the full range of our emotions to exist within us. We can also find a bridge to joy through hope, as Vaclav Havel describes it, the glimpse or moment of goodness that guides us to the next forward step into the future. Twinkle lights, Brene Brown writes, are the perfect metaphor for joy. Joy is not a constant. It comes to us in moments, often ordinary moments. Sometimes we miss out on the bursts of joy because we're too busy chasing down the extraordinary moments. Other times we're so afraid of the dark that we don't dare let ourselves enjoy the light. So during this month of festivities and festivals, may we let the light come to us. May we wait in the dark for the twinkles of joy and may we let ourselves enjoy it. <laughs>